Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why does making friends as an adult feel so What hard? should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a form of But that Why is was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want to know, know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Happy Valentine's Day to our beautiful, amazing, wonderful audience and community out there. This is one of my favorite holidays. I just love love so much. So I made sure that this was a special episode for you guys. Our guest today is Denise Francis, who is the founder and CEO of the Self-Love Organization and author of the Soul Study Self-Love Journal, a therapist-approved self-guided therapy journal meant to help women heal and achieve mental wellness. She is also working to become the first woman to receive a master's in the concentration of self-love, self-therapy, and the Black mental health experience from NYU. I mean, Denise is amazing. She is transforming the space. She is building an entire industry out of self-love. It is so freaking cool to see what she's doing. Our conversation today really gets into it from what self-love really looks like and how we can actually achieve it. Spoiler alert, it is way different than what you think it is, I guarantee. And we also talk about what self-love looks like in a relationship and how to fully heal if you're going through a breakup, all in the spirit of Valentine's Day. Denise also shares such amazing advice for cultivating true joy, like real joy, like not like the fluffy, cliche self-help advice. This is like, real advice for cultivating joy and healing the inner child. She honestly made me tear up at the end because this conversation was so powerful and like it really struck a chord with me. It's so profound. Her advice is amazing. And it's all about the most worthy and important form of love, which is the one that you have with yourself. I cannot wait for you guys to listen to this episode. I know you are going to love it and love yourself after listening And in honor of Valentine's Day, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in and for all of your support. I truly love hearing from you guys more than anything. And you are all truly my Valentines. Now, please welcome Denise Francis to the Evergirl podcast and have a wonderful day celebrating the love with yourself. The TED Talk you did was so inspiring and amazing. So like after I saw that, I was like, I cannot wait to talk to you. Spreading self-love education is like my main goal, making it easy, making healing easy. Like it shouldn't be this, this like weird thing that we think is just what we're marketed to as there's just so much more to unpack with that. Mm-hmm. So I'm here to answer all the questions and to share everything that I've gained over the last 10 years. I love it because yeah, self-love like is the most important thing, but I think it has, it is something that's become like gimmicky almost because people think of it as like, 
oh, it's the bubble bath and a face mask and, the and like face mask and the getting your nails done and a lip scrub and like yes, those things are great tools for external self care. But self-love is making the intentional effort to heal and to have a better relationship with yourself. That's what self-love is. Self-care is all of those really amazing external things that we do, like spa days. And all those things are great. And some of them do allow us time to have just dedicated time to ourselves, which is amazing. But what we do with that dedicated time, that's what's the most important. So if we're just using that dedicated time to just like relax and get our, our nails done, I mean, that's nice. But what about healing your inner child? What about having more self-trust? What about working on your self-confidence and your self-acceptance? What about all of those things that have a longer impact on who you are and the woman that you want to become? Oh my God. I freaking love it. We are already getting <laughs> deep into it. By the way, everyone, I'm here with Denise. <laughs> we didn't even like get to the introduction. Um, we just got right into it. But Denise, thank you so much for being here. Like I was telling you off air, I am so excited to have this conversation with you. You have the most like fascinating and like graspable way to define and talk about self-love that I'm very excited for our audience to hear. So thank you so much for joining me. And I'm so excited for this conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So before we dive into all of the amazing tips, which you already started getting into, first, I would love for you to give our audience some context. How did you become so passionate about self-love and so knowledgeable about self-love that it literally became your job and your mission? That's a great question to start with. So my journey actually starts 10 years ago. I've been intentionally and consistently, and those are two really important words, intentionally and consistently on my self-love journey for the last 10 years. But my journey started, which I shared in my TED Talk, around the age of nine, when I realized that I was experiencing an anxiety attack. And I was in a situation where a lot of my family members are screaming at each other. And I thought that it was about me. I swore it was my fault. It had to be me. And that led to a lot of really anxious um, symptoms like having sweaty palms and my heart racing and I can't breathe and my thoughts are racing way more and way faster than I'm able to grasp. I ended up running into the bathroom and crying. And it was in that moment when I realized something was off, but my family never spoke about it again and neither did I. So we acted as if it never happened, but then it continued to visit me. And just because of what I was taught as far as what being a strong Black woman or just being a strong woman meant that I didn't explore it. And it wasn't until almost 10 years ago when I was around 18 and I was in my psych class, Psych 101 um, at the City College of New York. I was a freshman. I'm taking psychology. I'm like, this is going to be great. And then <laughs> that feeling happened again when my professor was speaking about the symptoms of anxiety and I started to sink in my seat. I'm like, he has to be talking about me. How does he know all these things about me? And that's when I started to realize that I might have anxiety or I might be experiencing anxiety way more often than the normal person. And that's necessary. It's okay, but it's something that I need to cope with. It's something that I need to understand and, and accept and learn from because I kept kind of just pushing it under the rug, pushing it to the side and never exploring it, never even knowing how to identify it. It wasn't until I was in like 18. I was like, oh, 
That's what I've been going through this entire time. That's what this, that's what this feeling is. And it just so happens that it's right around the time when I turned 18, I cut off all of my hair and decided to start my self-love journey. So I realized really quickly within that freshman year of undergrad as a freshman that no amount of face masks is going to heal my inner child. No amount of bubble baths is going to make me feel okay or begin to understand and be okay with my anxiety and all the symptoms that came with it. So I realized that if I really wanted to make a change and really wanted to be okay with myself and have self-love and acceptance and confidence and efficacy and all of the different things that self-love has to offer, that I have to start doing the internal work and not the external work. That it was that realization of it has to come from within, not those maybe the things that are thrown at us of the bubble baths and the face masks and the spa days. And we're kind of bombarded by messages of the external factors of self-care. How did you have that realization of, oh, it actually has to come from within? Was it just realizing, you know, my anxiety is so bad that I have to treat it from a very internal, deeper level than I've been trying so far? Or what was it that made you realize that that's what self-love is? Because I realized that anytime I was feeling feelings of anxiety or depression or anything that I was going through, that I would immediately go towards doing something like a bubble bath or a face mask. And I have pictures of like Facebook of me, like in my robe, I'm like having a self-care day. I don't have school today. I'm going to, and like, no matter what I did, it never changed anything. So there was that, that connection that, that there is a bridge. There is like a gap between self-love and mental health, that what I'm experiencing is a mental health issue. And no amount of external bodily things that I can do is going to fix that. So if I need to work on something that is an internal issue, which is a mental health issue, then what I need to do are internal things to be able to meet it where it's at. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I need to now take away what I believed self-love to be, which is like, you know, bubble baths and etc. But it just meant that that time that I'm using, I need to be intentional with it, which is why I said earlier, being intentional and consistent on my journey for the last 10 years. So it's been 10 years since that started that you've been really focusing on it, making your life mission. And how did you go from that realization of like, oh, I've got to work within myself to now being an expert on self-love and someone who is helping a thousand other women to achieve self-love too? Oh my gosh. Um, so many things. So after doing it for like four to five years and I graduated, then there was this idea of how can I take this into a career? Because I really wanted it to be a career, but remember I was studying psychology. I wanted to be a, psych- a psychiatrist or a therapist, but I didn't want to leave behind all the work that I've been doing and all the realizations that I've had about self-love and wellness and inner healing. And for the absolute longest, I struggled between those two, trying to figure out how could I do both? How can I do wellness and psychology? Anytime I looked for any form of graduate program, I wasn't able to find anything that brought them together. And that even made it even more clear to me that there really is this huge gap gap between self-love and mental health as if they're two different things where they actually work really well together and mixing them together can create inner healing and create healing and wellness in general. Um, So after years of going back and forth, I realized that I think the only way I can make this happen and to bridge that gap is by bridging the gap myself. And that's when I created the self-love organization. 
so many things sparked from there, um, such as our self-love healing retreats, um, our course that we created for the City College of New York, which I am um, an alumni at as well. Um, We created a course called The Psychology of Self-Care and Wellness, which kind of explored that gap and mixed the two together to create a tangible healing method for students to explore. And then, of course, that led to other products and other healing tools, such as my self-therapy journal, the Soul Study Self-Love Journal. You are doing so much. What I love about what you do is that it's it's obviously one thing and an amazing thing to just be able to like spread the message and, and to help people know how to focus on their self-love and go through the journey for themselves. But you are doing it in such a concrete way, like between the courses, between the journaling, like it, it's, I so see the bridge of what we typically think of as like self-love and kind of wellness and psychology, like where that's coming into play, which is really interesting. And I love mixing them together. It's like such an organic fit. Like, of course, it makes so much sense. And it's really interesting because I think a lot of people would define self-love as I don't have insecurities or like I'm void of insecurities. And and I'd love for you to speak on that because it's it's interesting to hear your definition being more related to mental health and, and almost like the antithesis of anxiety more than insecurity. So can you talk about that? Like is self-love really not having any insecurities? Where does that come into play? So self-love is not just um, insecurities. It's self-efficacy, the ability to think that you can do all things. It's self-confidence, having confidence in your abilities and you as a person. It's self-acceptance, being able to accept who you are, your quirks and all the fun and weird things about you. It's body positivity. It's being able to love the skin that you're in. There's so many things that go into it that it's not just, oh, well, I like myself and that's it. So I don't need to be on a journey. It's way more than that. Because if we don't make time for wellness, we're going to have to make time for mental illness. That's just how it goes. And starting a self-love journey or constantly being on a self-love journey constantly challenges you to understand love and accept yourself. It also challenges you to explore different parts of yourself, right? Looking at the physical part of yourself, the emotional part of yourself, the personality parts of yourself, the past versions of yourself. When we don't focus on all of those features and just focus on, well, I think I'm beautiful. I like the clothes that I'm in. I like the body that I'm in. Then that's it. Then you're missing the point. And then parts of that journey that are neglected are going to show up in other parts of your life that it doesn't belong. It's going to show up in your relationships, both romantic and platonic. It's going to show up in the decisions that you make. It's going to show up in the decisions that you don't make. It's going to show up in your eating habits and your relationship with food, in your relationship with others, the relationship with yourself, parental relationships. It's going to show up in all the spaces that it doesn't belong if you don't take the time to actually heal it. So it's not just about, oh, I feel good in the skin I'm in and I think I'm beautiful and that's it. It's not just about beauty. And that's my issue with self-care as it's portrayed to be that we see it as making sure that your skin is youthful and you have a 10-step skincare routine and all those things are great, but that only feeds to the idea that self-love is solely about if you think that you're beautiful or not. I love that definition because it's so powerful to think of it as like almost like the foundation for everything you do. Like I think a lot of times when we talk about self-love, we think about it like it's about body confidence, which like you said, that's a piece of it, a tiny piece of the big puzzle. 
tiny piece, but like, that's the way we think of it often is like, let me look in the mirror and, and say, you look hot today. I love you, Josie. It's not kind of like all of the underlying work, like the self-efficacy. I think that's a huge yeah. one. Can you speak on the self-efficacy more? Like, what does that really mean and look like for someone who's new to that idea? So self-efficacy, think, we can think about it in two different ways. We can think about it in like an academic career. We can also think about it in a traditional career, like like tech or um, education. Um, and the way that you want to look at it is, do I think I can do this? And this that's not self-confidence, right? Because sometimes we can define self-confidence as I'm going to wear all the colors in my closet with two different shoes <laughs> and, you know, the funkiest glasses and I'm going to do my makeup blindfolded and then I'm going to go outside and be the baddest, right? That's, that, that's self-confidence because, you know, you're not even like concerned about what anyone thinks. You're going to go outside and, and be yourself. But self-efficacy is, can I do this? Do I believe I can do this? Something that I personally had to deal with with self-efficacy was my relationship with math anxiety. And I used to tutor math and also teach. I used to teach statistics when I was at the City College of New York. And the fact that I was I'm even able to say that is wild and shows the growth of my self-love journey. Because I had to take a good amount, maybe a good half a year to work on my self-efficacy to truly believe that I had the capability to understand statistics, the capability to understand math. Because math was my worst, okay? Like I I would get, when I was younger, I would get a math test and just start crying. <laughs> like, oh, I, me too. Math is awful. <laughs> It was stressing me out. And then it just kept getting harder. We went from geometry to trigonometry to, I was like, why are we, like, why do we need this? And for me, it was so important to finally learn that one, accept, okay, Denise, you are afraid of math. And then to start doing the actual work of self-love, which is intentionally healing. So why are you afraid of math? Do you think that you're not smart enough? Do you think that you're not good enough? What are the barriers? What about it makes you worry? What was the first time you've ever experienced this? How long have you have you been experienced this? What are the feelings that you feel when you're experiencing this? And how could we become aware of them so that when they do arrive, we can knock all that negative self-talk out and replace it with positive thoughts and begin to really understand my relationship with math? I went from crying at every math test from like K to five to teaching statistics because I took time to understand my relationship with it, understand why I had low self-efficacy and slowly gain self-efficacy to be able to have the confidence to teach the class. So self-efficacy really is, can I do this? And not necessarily do I believe I can do this, right? Those are two different things Mm -hmm. because you can believe in yourself, but can I do this? Like ask yourself, can you look at any math problem? Can you look at any, you know, constructural design? Can you look at any DIY and say, I can do this with full hearted, genuine, 100% like I could do this and nothing in my mind tells me that, that I cannot. There are a lot of people that walk around believing that they can't do half the things that they see. And that's not necessarily having low self-confidence. That's about self-efficacy. But think about it almost as if self-love is one umbrella and there's so many things that fall underneath it. So think about self-efficacy is here. And after self-efficacy, you can gain self-confidence. Interesting. So it's like the, the tool to get there. 
Yes. It's like, it's like you have to work your way up. So if you have self-efficacy, you can gain self-confidence. And if you have self-confidence, you can gain self-trust. And it continues to build upon each other. And then when you get to the top, you have self-love. So it's something that we have to look at as kind of like a hierarchy and working our way up so that we can feel wholeheartedly, genuinely confident in ourselves that we got this. So that's how I would define self-efficacy is really just asking you those two questions. Can I do this? And do I fully believe that this is something that I can do? Like there's, there's no doubt in my mind that I can get this done. And that also ties into things like motivation and determination and self-discipline. There's so many things that go into it. So that's how I like to look at it. I know that was a really long answer, but that's how I like to look at it. You know, I love that definition. It's so fascinating and makes a lot of sense. Like the other way I've heard self-efficacy talked about is like, you know, if you want to go to the gym or like whatever wellness goals you have, it's just being able to prove to yourself and trust yourself that you would follow through, right? Like trusting yourself. And another thing I've heard about it, and it's making me think of self-efficacy as you explain it, it's like the, you know, we're so used to looking for evidence that we're bad, like you with math. It's like you were probably just automatically looking for evidence of like, see, I don't know math. I cried the last time a test came. And so Mm -hmm. we're constantly looking for evidence that we're bad. So is it that instead to like be honest with yourself and then start looking for evidence of where you could be successful in whatever it is that you are want to pursue? I love that you use the word evidence because think about the saying that misery loves company. Just keep that saying in your mind. When our mind is full of negative self-talk, we're going to constantly look for evidence to prove that self-talk right. So with misery loves company and we're clouding our thoughts because we have low self-efficacy and low self-confidence and low self-trust, that we're not good at math, that we're not good at working out, that we're not good at this project, that we're not a good parent, that we're not X, Y, and Z, we're going to constantly look for evidence that proves that. And that even goes back to so many more things of the way that you view the world, right? Someone with like a high level of self-efficacy, self-trust, self-confidence, so all of the selves (laughs) views the world in a different way, right? They'll view a situation differently because their perspective has changed. So there might be a negative situation that happened, but instead of looking at it as evidence, as this is why I am a bad insert here, it's more of what did I do differently? What did I not catch this time? Was I self-aware enough? How can I make sure this doesn't happen again? How can I reflect on this to be able to build on it and add it as a lesson on my self-love journey? And that goes down to things like self-forgiveness and being able to forgive yourself and be um, and have grace for yourself when things happen. So when we're always looking for negative reasons and evidence, It just adds and makes it even harder for us to break out of that low self-efficacy to get to the point of confidence. Denise, you're making me think like self-love has so often been defined as what, like an action, like what we do, like the self-care, like the bubble bath. And it's making me think, so like is self-love not an action? It's the lens in which we see the world. It's not necessarily a lens of which we see the world, but it's the way that we move through it. The way we move through it. Wow. Okay. So it's so funny. Um, you know, um, when, you know, like we get older and we're looking at a kid that's possibly like a preteen and we can see everything clearly. We're like, wow, she likes this one. This one likes that one. This one doesn't, <laughs> feel like she's pre- you know, it all makes right, sense. But when right. we were experiencing 
we were just like oblivious to it all. Think about it like that. It's the way that you view and and move through the world. You can move through the world with so much more confidence, with so much more trust in yourself, with so much with, with higher self-efficacy because you have healed all those different things. You've checked all those boxes. You've unlocked those locks. And now you're at this level where you can move through the world and not thinking not thinking that life is happening to you, but that life is happening around you. Ooh, and it that's good. to really sit back and be okay and accept the things that happen, accept yourself, understand your thoughts, your feelings, and your behaviors. Because a lot of the way that we experience the world is the behaviors of other people, which leads to our experiences and our memories that then can turn into negative self-talk, negative experiences, trauma, etc. So imagine if everyone was moving through the world with this high level of self-love. We could argue that the amount of negative experiences or trauma that those will experience would lessen because our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors as individuals would change, which will then affect the way that other people experience us and the way that other people will experience the world. Whoa. I mean, that's kind of like Whoa. Whoa. So the other misconception that I've, I was so curious to ask you about, because this is one I hear a lot actually is, you know, someone saying like, well, you know, once I'm in a relationship, then I'll love myself. Or once I lose 20 pounds, then I'll love myself. Like we talk about it as it, as if it's so conditional. Tell me what you think about that. Like, is it a conditional thing where it's like, once we achieve X, Y, Z, then I mean, sounds like based off of what you already said, I could guess that's not true. But but what are your thoughts? Oh, when, when... <laughs> no, so I, Tell I would argue 100% that it is not conditional. I want you to think about it like this. Think about someone that loves you. That might be a parent. That might be a best friend. It could be a boyfriend. It could be a sister, you know, a lifelong friend, anyone, a dog, <laughs> you know, like the like best your kind pet. of love. Best kind of love comes from dogs. <laughs> um, but think about that person and think about what will change their mind for them to stop loving. If it takes you a while to figure that out, then what you are experiencing is unconditional love. And that is what you need to give to yourself. Keyword unconditional, which means that you don't need to reach a condition in order to receive that love that is being given to you. That's the level of self-love that I want everyone to be able to reach. That although I'm experiencing anxiety, I'm still lovable. And although I've gained 30 pounds over the last two years, <laughs> that I'm still lovable. Um, and although I shaved off all of my hair, I'm still lovable. And being able to say that, being able to believe that, that's the goal. So it's not if I lose 20 pounds, it's not if I get in a relationship and it's not necessarily to say that you have to be responsible for all the love that you receive because, you know, we were not born to be alone. We were born for community. We we're born into communities, into families naturally, but it's to say that you can't wait to be loved. And if you are waiting for a particular type of love, like a platonic love or like a romantic love, that's fine because that's a different type of love. But you need to be able to experience love on your own. 
So it's not conditional. The goal is to give yourself unconditional love, to always know that you are lovable, to always know that you are loved and you are special and you are unique. And these are the reasons why you are. And these are the things that are different about you. These are things that are not so different. These are things that make you lovable. And not to feel like you need to change something in order to be. Now, that does not mean that there's things out there that we want to change. Like if you're not someone that has a lot of self-discipline, you want to change that. Or if you're not someone that has a lot of motivation to do things, you want to change that. That's fine. But that's self-improvement. That's not changing your entire being and turning into an entire different person just to be loved. Because then that only declares that the past version of you was not lovable at all. It's not, I, I need to improve or change in order to love myself. It's, I love myself so much. I deserve to grow yes. and, and yes. right. Like it, so it's, yeah. it, that comes first, not second. Yes. It's like, I love myself. Therefore I'm improving myself. Again, if you think about it as like, if you think about it in terms of someone that loves you, so think about like a parent. They are always working on your self-improvement. They're working on your self-efficacy. They're working on your self-trust. They're working on making you a full, like a full-rounded human. So think about that the same way when you're when you're trying to improve yourself. There's a difference between improving and changing. There's a difference. So self-improvement is a great tool to use because how else are we going to go from self-efficacy to self-confidence to self-trust? That's improvement. I love that. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with that. That's so fascinating. Speaking of relationships, as we kind of dabbled into a little bit, this episode is actually coming out on Valentine's Day, which I thought was the perfect day for it because A, it's the day of love and what better love is there than self-love, but also because people who are single or just went through a breakup or are in an unhealthy relationship, unhealthy situation can feel triggered or unworthy about their singleness or like their status, like this time right now, like Valentine's Day can bring up a lot for people. So how do you see self-love fitting into romantic life? Like, do you think that you need self-love before getting into a relationship, like they say, or that, you know, self-love means being happy if you're single? Like, how do you see self-love being a part of a romantic relationship or romantic life, whether it's single or in a relationship? That's a great question. Something that I often hear a lot of my clients that I would coach during my self-love coaching sessions will share with me is that they feel like they've lost themselves. Losing yourself can happen when you don't have a strong sense of who you are to begin with which means that you then adapted into a situation or relationship that you found yourself in or placed yourself in. And that's how you lose yourself. When you don't have a strong sense of self or a strong sense of self-love and all of the different self, self versions that go underneath that, it's easy to lose yourself in a relationship, which is why I always argue that it is important to have self-love first before jumping into something committed because you always want to know who you are because that allows you to set things like boundaries. That allows you to set things that will only help the progression of the relationship. So it's really important to have a strong sense of self. Going into the relationship kind of moldable like Play-Doh will allow you to, if you don't have things like boundaries and, and things that you want to reinforce, that allows you to kind of be played by that relationship. Now, that's not to say that like every relationship is evil or like really bad, because sometimes that can happen in a more quote unquote gentle way. And a good example of this is people pleasing. We can argue that that's not like the worst thing that can happen in a relationship, but imagine what that does to you 
and your thoughts, feelings, and emotions that will then affect your behaviors. So now let's say that you've lost that relationship. So now you're back to being that ball of Play-Doh. Are you the same ball that you came in as or are you now molded as a people pleaser? And now this is going to be your relationship personality as you go through other relationships because as far as you're concerned, that worked. So it's really important to make sure that thinking of thinking of yourself as a ball of clay and having a strong sense of self. And then you can also bring this back to like self-improvement. Like if I came, if I was a ball, but then kind of turned into a square, the ball is still inside of that square. It's just not what's on the outside anymore, but it's still in there. The problem is like we were a ball. We went into a relationship and came out as like a full different sculpture, <laughs> like a trapezoid. And that circle is no longer in there. You've lost yourself. It's really important to make sure that you know who you are so that you can set your boundaries to have a successful and respectful relationship. So that when you go out of that relationship, you don't go out thinking that it was your fault and you don't go out thinking that there's something wrong with you, that you're not worthy. You go out realizing that that relationship wasn't for me because of X, Y, and Z. And moving forward, I'm looking for A, B, and C. So that's how I like to look at it. Self-love is a tool that can be used in relationships to make sure that you are protected and to make sure that you are not depending or become codependent on your partner to experience forms of love because that can create cycles that are unhealthy. So it's really important to have that sense of self to know what, what shape you were when you went into that relationship and keep a piece of that shape when you leave it because it, it's going to keep changing as you go through relationships because, you know, relationship version of me at 19 is not relationship version of me at 29. And there were times when I've lost myself in my 19, 20, 21 year relationships and had to come out of it, remold myself, which is that inner work, realize that I was a circle from the beginning. And when I go into the next relationship, Make sure that they know that I will not be accepting this. I will not be accepting that. These are my boundaries. This is how I like to be loved. These are my love languages. This is what I'm expecting from you. This is what I could give you. This is what I cannot give you. What could I do for you to make sure that you're loved? That is the goal, I believe, in relationships, to be able to share your versions of self-love and your self-love languages to the other person so that you guys can properly love each other and love yourselves at the same time without it being a hindrance to the relationship as well. I love that. And I love that visualization of like the, the molded, the Play-Doh, the, you know, that you want to go into a relationship and make sure that you know who that is so that you leave the same too. Like, I love that. What are some other examples of those boundaries to make sure that someone who is either maybe in a relationship, whether it's been for like 10, 20 years, or someone who may be entering a new relationship, what should they be thinking about and looking into to make sure that they have those boundaries so that they can stay true to who they are. So this even goes back to the idea of knowing who you are and exploring that inner work that self-love is supposed to be, that inner healing work. Because for example, you'll start to realize that, let's say you're someone that loves physical like affection. And now that you know that, you're going to share that in inside of your relationship. But what you're not going to accept, right, is the complete opposite of that. You know, when some people like to give the cold shoulder and they don't like to talk or they don't want to, that's something that you know is going to hurt you. 
So if you go in with the boundary of if we have a problem, I want us to talk it out. If we have to take a day and then talk it out or something that me and my partner like to do is we're not going to go to sleep mad at each other. We're going to take as much time as we need during the day. But at the end of the day, we need to have a conversation because there needs to be some form of I'm sorry, or this is where I was wrong, or there needs to be something. And even if we don't get there, because sometimes views are different, there needs to be some form of conversation that lets me know that you want to still be in this relationship. And to let me know that you're not going to intentionally do the things that hurt me when you know they are the things that hurt me, right? Because I want you to know that these are things that hurt me so that you don't go out and do those things. A lot of us kind of have these expectations of relationships. Like, I can't believe he didn't do this and I can't believe she didn't do that. But did you tell them that that's what you needed? Do they know, right? We have to, especially in adult relationships, we need to be vocal about our our needs and our wants and our non-negotiables. So that's why having that strong touch of self is so important. But knowing that these are my love languages and these are things that hurt, that alone can save an entire relationship. These are things that I need to feel loved by you. This is how I receive love. This is how I give love. Does that work for you? Some people are gift givers and some people can care less. <laughs> about a gift, but they will they like words of affirmation. So maybe I can give you the gift with words of affirmation. This way I'm still expressing my love, but I'm still doing something that works for you. And that's a boundary that the partner set and also a boundary that, that you set as well. So it's important to have those boundaries because boundaries is not necessarily just to hide behind, but there's something that needs to be reinforced by you and your partner. And it goes back to the self-honesty and, and being really honest with yourself on what is it that I actually need to feel loved. And I think that's so powerful. Yeah. 100%. Also, I, it's making me think I just finished this book called all about love by bell hooks. If you've heard of it, it was very interesting, but, but she defines love as, um, I'm going to butcher this quote. I don't remember it exactly, (laughs) but it was something like the way she defines love is caring about your own and someone else's spiritual development. And I just thought Mm. that was so interesting because it's kind of what you're saying of, you know, that you, you can be in love with someone else and like that they can be helping your own self-love, not helping it because that all comes from within you, but that you're adding to it. You're adding to it. And that you also, like, I, I do believe when you're in a relationship, that person should care about your self-love. Like they should be really, you know, again, I don't want to say like helping you because it all comes from within you, but that they should be. Maybe the word they're looking for is like nourishing you. Nourishing. That's because it goes back to that form of unconditional love that we're all searching for, right? It's nourishing. Like, you know, this is the flame that I've been nourishing by myself for the last X amount of years. I get into a relationship and now the the flame is larger Mm. because you're nourishing flame and we're both managing it and we're both taking care of it. And I'm also managing your flame and together we've, we've made this really beautiful bonfire. And it's important that our boundaries is what's keeping it at a very good level is keeping the fire happy is keeping it still is keeping it flourishing, but not, you know, like out of control or, or, or a toxic and starting, you know, forest fires, but we created this beautiful bonfire together. And because you know what I need, you know what wood to put in. You know to put, you know, oak wood instead of pine. You know what to put in because I've shared that with you. And because you love and respect me, 
And because that you love and respect yourself and you don't see me as a threat to those things, that you are going to help nourish the same way I'm going to help nourish what you need, which only makes our bonfire more beautiful, more vibrant, more large scale, more loving, more warm, beautiful. But the moment that it's one-sided and there's not anyone else on the other side, the moment boundaries start falling down and there's nothing to protect it, it can become toxic. It can create a forest fire. It can create cycles that you don't want to repeat. I love that. That's so fascinating. Like, I, I wonder how, I'm even thinking about like my, you know, relationships from when I was in high school and like young Josie life of like how many relationships out there of those like toxic situations can be prevented if you start understanding your relationship of, is this person invested in my own self-love? I honestly think that would help so many people distinguish between a relationship worth having and not worth having. And then also just being honest with yourself, but also having that that amount of self-awareness to know why am I in this relationship? Am I in this relationship because I'm not happy with the way I look and he keeps telling me that I'm beautiful? Or am I in this relationship because I genuinely love their company and I genuinely love being with them and they genuinely love being with me and it's a win-win situation? Or am I using this for my selfish gains? Like, why am I here? You know, you can do this with any relationship. You can do this with your platonic relationships as well. Is this a one-sided relationship? Like, why am I here? What am I getting from this? How is this attributing to my flame? Like, is this becoming a toxic forest fire? Or are we both sitting around the bonfire together, feeling the warmth that it brings? It's really important that self-awareness is a part of that because that really helps you understand why you're here, what you need, and then to have the self-confidence and self-efficacy and self-worth and all of the things to be able to vocalize those things, Right. And then be able to stand by it. I always tell people, when you set a boundary, you need to reinforce it. It, It's it's like a law. You have to reinforce it. It needs to, you know, like there needs to be um, things that happen in the event that it doesn't, you know, get respected. Like you need to be able to reinforce your boundaries to make sure that they're strong on both sides. That's so cool. Oh my God, that's so good. That's so good. Okay, so what about someone who's going through a breakup and maybe they hadn't done what you're recommending and, you know, lost themselves and are coming out of the relationship feeling like, who am I without this person and and going through a hard time? Or even if they, you know, did go through the relationship knowing who they were and it was a, a good relationship, but it's ending and you're devastated and so sad. How do you find that self-love and that kind of like identity within yourself again after you've seen yourself as kind of your identity wrapped up in this other person for so long that all of a sudden is ended? Do you have any tips for that? My number one tip for that would be stillness. Because when you're in a relationship, you spend majority of your time with that person. Even if it's a long distance relationship, there's still a good amount of time that's spent talking. That person is always there. They're part of your your immediate circle. Stillness allows you time to remember what it was like without them, to remember who you are, and to explore the feelings that come to visit you during that stillness. Some feelings are going to come more often than, than others, like anger or grief. But it's important to realize that losing a relationship is experiencing full-term grief. Because you are pretty much burying 
that version of your life, that part, that season of your life, you're kind of like letting go of that person. It's almost as if you're experiencing a death and that's perfectly okay. And I feel like when we view it like that, we allow ourselves more grace to grieve. It's important to grieve things in your life. I had to grieve something really important in my life where I was on my way to get my master's degree at NYU and be the first woman to receive a master's degree with the concentration of self-love, self-therapy, and the Black mental health experience. I was finally creating a program and kind of merging that gap between self-love and mental health on an academic level. And I had to stop my studies simply because I didn't have enough money for tuition. No matter how many grants I received or how many financial aid um, I received, it just simply wasn't enough. And when it came the time when I had to put in my like resignation letter for my master's degree, I had to grieve that. And it took me about a half a year to really grieve it and sit in it and cry about it and understand that that although that was a really strong part of my identity, that's not entirely who I am. And my story doesn't stop here. Someone had to remind me that this is a chapter. And I was like, I don't want it to be a chapter. Like it's supposed <laughs> to be the end of the book. So yeah, like this is this is the end. This is the end of the book. Like I don't want another chapter. But someone had to remind me that this is a chapter and this is a story that you're going to end up telling. And one day you're going to tell the story as I'm telling it to you right now. So when you're leaving a breakup, I want you to sit in stillness and remember what life was like and who you were without that person. Because we forget, you know, we get wrapped up in all the love and all the joy and that's fine. But take time to remember. You have to remember. There needs to be a strong sense of self for you to remember. And once you remember that, why did I like this about myself? And then after you kind of dig through that and you kind of found yourself, now I want you to sit in stillness again, grieve it, right? And then start kind of fact-checking what really happened. What could I take accountability for? What could I give myself grace for? What we can argue was my fault and what are things that wasn't my fault? What was out of my control? What was in my control? What will I do differently next time I fall in love? What would I continue doing? Because that's a part of my core. I am a big lover. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm going to keep doing that. I'm not going to no longer do that because that brings me joy because someone hurt me. So that's why that stillness is so important. And all that comes down to what self-love truly is, which is making the intentional and consistent effort to heal. That's such good advice. Like I think whether it's a breakup, whether it's, you know, you're changing your career plans or your education plan, something doesn't work out. The reason those things are so hard, right? A friendship breakup, anything that we thought was going to work out that doesn't. Like the reason that's so hard for us is because we have to let go of and grieve like the life we thought we were going to have or like what we thought was going to come of it. So it's going back again to that like unconditional self-love where it's like even these conditions of what I thought my life would be like even removing those will not waver my self-love and coming back to that of like, I'm still the core of myself, even without all of these external factors I thought would be there. Like, although I'm no longer in a relationship, I'm still lovable. Although I was cheated on, that has nothing to do with me and everything Mm -hmm. to do with that. I am still lovable. Being able to even just say those words, I am lovable, I am worthy of love. I am valuable of love. That is so important because it brings you back 
right? And once you grieve those things and you cry it out and you get it out and you journal it out and you therapy it out and you yoga it out, you work it out, you do all the things. And once you're kind of at a point where you've accepted, because after grief, like once you've grieved something, you finally accept it. I had to accept the fact that I'm not going back to school as of right now, as of right now, at this time, right? And we're leaving our relationship. I had to accept that that person wasn't for me as of right now, at this time. Does that mean that I'm not going to go back into school sometime in my life? No. Does that mean I'm never going to find love again in my life? No. We have to stop thinking in absolutes that if this doesn't happen, then this is then this is it, right? That A means B. There's an entire alphabet out there. Use it to your advantage. Wow. Everything you say, <laughs> I'm like, I need to pull that clip for social media. I need to pull that one. Like everything <laughs> you're saying is so good. Oh my God. Okay. So for anyone listening who's like, Denise, I hear you. Like I'm ready to start my self-love journey and fully love myself and go through all of those self-efficacy, self-confidence, self-trust, all of those things. I'm ready for it. I want it. Can you talk through some steps, those like tangible actions, tips, anything you have to guide people to start working on self-love if they're like in the very beginning of like, I don't even know, like I thought self-love was bubble baths and you're blowing my mind. Like what are those like starting points to make this like very huge concept, the kind of one-on-one steps for someone? So there's, there's so many things. There's so many ways that we can start this. So number one, again, stillness right? We listen to music every time that we walk, every time that we drive. We're always on the phone. We have so many distractions that you need to be still to even hear the thoughts that are that are floating through your mind. We need to hear them, right? Now that we hear them and now that we kind of know like what are, what are our feelings and, and, and emotions, we need to now confront them. We need to challenge them. We need to talk to them. I always call it like self-talk, being able to have a very positive relationship with myself to be able to kind of go back and forth and challenge my thoughts. Like, am I really, or is that how it, like sometimes you need to really ask yourself these questions because if there's not someone asking these questions for you, which is what I, a therapist, is always a great idea, then you need to now kind of dive into what I like to call self-therapy, which is you are now kind of playing that role and helping yourself again intentionally heal. So what I love to do is journal. I've been journaling for the last almost 10 years now. And the reason why I love it is because it allows my thoughts and my feelings and my emotions to be in a tangible space for me to be able to analyze, to reread, to re-experience, to understand. When we want to learn something, what do we do? We read, we ask, we research. You need to do all those things towards yourself to be to have a better understanding, to have a better idea of who that core person is. So allowing time, which is why I do, you know, of course, subscribe to the idea of self-care because that, that gives time. But what you do with that time, as I mentioned earlier, is extremely important. So within that time, I want you to be still and I want you to grab a journal. And I, there are two things you can do. One, you can brain dump. That's always a fun thing to do because it allows you to kind of see a pattern. Like, wow, I've said this thought at least three times <laughs> like since, since I started writing down. Like, maybe this is something that's bothering me. But what I love to do are guided journal prompts, which is why I created a journal for this particular reason. So I created the journal that feels like therapy, 
the Soul Study Self-Love Journal, and it's a therapist-approved healing tool to help guide you on your healing journey. So it asks you 115 prompts, 115 questions that kind of go up in difficulty as you go throughout the book because you're learning and you're growing as you go throughout it. And it asks you questions almost as if you were in a therapy session and allows you time to sit with that idea, with that question, to analyze it, to see what thoughts, feelings, emotions, behaviors come up and visit you while you're thinking about that and allows you to write it down. And now as you're journaling, even if it's not a prompt journal like the one I've created, but as you're journaling, the main goal here is to ask yourself why over and over and over again. So let's do like a really quick exercise. Let's do like a little, kind of like a silly exercise. All right. So share with me, what's your favorite pizza? My favorite pizza is, I love like a, one of those like white pizzas that are like just cheese and pesto. Why? Because I like a creamy cheese (laughs) and I like it simple, (laughs) but gourmet, simple, but like fancy. (laughs) Why? Because I have good memories of pizza like that. (laughs) When was the first time you had a really good memory of pizza like that? Probably when I was, I think I remember like being at restaurants when I was a kid with my family and having like fancier pizzas rather than like a Domino's pizza. So I was like, this is amazing. And and it was like a great experience with my family and, and sitting around at a restaurant. Why was that such a great experience and such a good memory? Probably because it felt, I'm trying to think of like as a child, it, because it felt so special. Like it was so fun to be like that there was nothing else going on besides you were just at a table with your family. And I was, you know, it felt like going out somewhere felt special and it was fun. And so that's a really good example of how you would keep asking yourself why. There's so much more we can dig into that as to why did you feel like you needed that special moment as a kid? Why to this day as an adult, we still grab for that that pizza? Does it bring back memories every time you eat it? Does it soothe you? Is it your comfort pizza? Do you stray away from other different types of slices or is, is this like the only one that you'll accept? On a bad day, do you reach for it? Oh, these are the things that allows us to truly understand truly understand ourselves by just asking why and that stillness of just waiting for the answer to come to you. And all of that will happen through paper and pen. It's now something kind of like a book of your life, a book of your emotions, a book of how you feel, a book of who you are that you could reread, especially at a healed version of yourself. Rereading something that you've written when you're like healed from it is always a fun time. But being able to use it kind of as like a reference so now when you kind of grab for that slice, you know that the, one of the reasons why you do it is because it brings you joy, because it brings back a memory of special quality time with your parents. That's how you do the work, you ask yourself why. And that was something as silly as pizza, but apparently it has a stronger um, and more important role in your life than it just being your favorite slice. Yeah. Now imagine that's that you shared with your significant. Imagine how much more of an impact that would make if you're having a bad day and they brought it for you. That's how we manage that flame. That's how we create the most beautiful and warm-hearted bonfires. That's how we do the work. And that was simply just a question about pizza. 
we're not even going to get into music or like (laughs) things that usually have like stronger ties. But that is how you do the work. You sit with yourself. You allow your thoughts and emotions to visit you. You don't block them off with distractions. You allow them to visit you. You sit in it and you ask yourself why. And you you get to a point where you fully understand your thoughts, your feelings, and your behaviors. You know, it's so funny. I'm, I don't know why this came to me as you were explaining that, but I remember like when I was in college and I was younger, I remember like Googling, like when I was in my last relationship, like, how do you know if it's the, the one for you? How do you know if it's a toxic situation? How do you know? And mm-hmm. I think so, like mm-hmm. I'm Googling these things, looking for answers on Google. And it's so interesting yeah. when you talk about journaling, cause it's like, why would we look everywhere else? I think people go to self-help books, you know, they go everywhere else. They ask other people, what do you think? What do you think? We go everywhere else besides in ourselves. And so what you're saying, journaling allows us to do that. And the answer is always there. And it's always been there. Mm -hmm. You just have to take the time find it and understand your connection to things and to the reasons. Cause like, remember what I said earlier about the behaviors that we experience, the things that we experience that people do are their behaviors. We want to be able to understand our thoughts to then understand the emotions that come from it, to then understand the behaviors that we then share and exhibit to other people. Right. So in that, and even going down to toxic relationships, like, so you, someone did a toxic behavior towards you, why? What was the emotion behind that? Usually it's, and, and it's fun. there's so much for us to talk about because, oh my gosh. you know, a lot of emotions disguise themselves as anger when they're not. A lot of emotions dis- disguise themselves as anger when they really are fear, when they really are sadness, when they really are insecurities or just feeling insecure. There's so many things that go into it. So it's like, what emotion am I feeling? Is it is it really anger or do I feel unloved? Do I feel betrayed? What is it, right? And then what thought is that, right? Do I have a negative thought in my mind that I've been looking for evidence for, which is I was never good enough for this person in the beginning? It's like going backwards and then forwards, but at the end of the day, the answer was always there in the middle. And journaling allows you to see that very clearly and very tangibly through paper and pen. Mm, So powerful. It's so crazy that like, it's not this expensive, crazy, really high level thing. It's all it takes is a pen and paper and going within yourself and looking for answers there, which is so powerful. And taking the time taking the time. I love stillness. I love that idea of like allowing yourself the space to do that and just like sit and and look inward, I think is so powerful. So that's just like, it is wild how powerful that is. And that's amazing. I know that your journal that you offer gives people the tool to do that. And so like, you know, you're obviously helping so many people do this work. I would love to hear more of your rituals, routines, like anything that you do on a regular basis to practice that self-love. I know before we started this, we were talking about your your self-care day, which I love. And, and so I would love for you to talk about yes. that and then anything else that you just like do on a regular basis to continually connect with that, all of those things under the umbrella of self-love, the self-efficacy, self-trust, self, even body confidence, yes. anything else that comes with that. What do you do? 
So I have certain days that I like to dedicate to this, but I also like to kind of add little splashes of self-care practices throughout my week to kind of keep me whole and to keep my cup full and to keep me going. So journaling, of course, is my number one go-to. Um, but music is a is an amazing thing. Ooh. And I have a playlist. I have like my self-care playlist, you know, and I would listen to that every morning to kind of get me up and going. I love listening to music that just fills my my cup with joy or brings back really fun memories. I definitely use music as a tool. I also use meditation as a tool. I use prayer as a tool. I love to sit there and just pray and ask for guidance and ask for protection and ask for, you know, help with managing my feelings, my thoughts, and my emotions. I love dance. I love to throw in dance every now and then. You you should see me. If I'm stressed, I love samba music because I just learned how to do how to do it. <laughs> I've been taking classes during the pandemic, like online. So if I'm stressed, trust and believe I'm going on like the Brazil playlist on <laughs> Spotify and I'm in my house and I'm just, I'm getting it, you know? That's so <laughs> it fun. This brings me joy. I love to use movement as a tool because, you know, just sitting in the same corner in the same section or just doing the same thing every day, especially repetitively could just lead to just general unhappiness. So putting in little sparks of joy throughout my week always helps. But then that goes back to what we shared earlier of knowing what brings you joy. So you know that that pizza brings you joy. You know why it brings you joy. So you know how to use it as a tool to help and guide you when you need it. I love that. I love that. So it's like maybe everybody, especially it's it's, it's Valentine's Day or it's Valentine's week, if you're listening to this later, maybe that's, you know, you take some time and you really think about what are those things that bring me joy? What is like my Samba music? Like, what are going to be those things and have that like, almost like toolbox to go to that you can pull out? Having a toolbox is so important. Like now that I've taken the time and understand what brings me genuine joy, like just genuine joy, I'm going to do it. One is actually kind of silly, but I just did it last night. Is I don't know if if anyone remembers, but does anyone remember Saturday morning cartoons oh, when yeah. you were growing up? The cereal. The cereal with the cartoons in the morning. That brings so much joy. Um, so every now and then, hey, I might watch one of my one of my favorite episodes from when I was a kid and still laugh at it because it was it was I a good time. That. Wait, I love that so much. It's- so it's so funny because you're just like I watch this, <laughs> you know. You're just looking at it, and it brings back a level of joy that you just can't you, you can't get from from everywhere, you know. And that's that's a core memory that you're re, that you're allowing yourself to re-experience. Sometimes calling up like my mom or family members to reminisce on some old times or things that brought genuine joy. Like, do you remember that time when we did this? Remember the time when we got in trouble because we did that? Just going back to the moments of life that brought you joy, no matter how silly it may be. And all of those little silly things could heal your inner child. I spent so much time home alone growing up because I was raised by a single mother. So a lot of my childhood was me having to be an adult in spaces where I wish I could have been a child. So sometimes I would do the things that will bring that nine-year-old little version of myself joy, the things that I didn't have access to. A really good example of this is the other day it snowed 
and I put on my earmuffs and all of my gear and I went outside and played in the snow. Oh and had my a God, I love and that. It was, it was so much fun. And there were some kids and they were looking at me like, man, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? And I was like, y'all want a snow fight? Like we, we could have a fight like right now. Like look, I, I got my sword. You have yours. There's just a level of joy that you can experience by he- by healing your inner child that I think that we all should 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 explore. So knowing what those things are, and again, that goes down to stillness and journaling and revisiting and analyzing and fact checking your trauma. It allows you to remember and kind of have like a log of yes, I loved doing that. I wish I could have done that. I I didn't have the luxury of going outside and playing the snow because I was home alone. My mom said, absolutely not. You're not going outside while I'm at work. You're staying home. So now as a full adult, I'm going to go or I'm going to grab my baby cousins. I'm like, we're going to go outside and we're going to have a ball because it allows me to heal those inner parts of myself that just never got to experience those things. It brings absolute joy and helps manage things like my anxiety or depression and allows me to sprinkle joy within my week so that there's not a one day that I'm waiting for to experience joy. I allow myself to experience it throughout the week, but then there's one particular day where I'm like, I'm going to experience joy for longer today. (laughs) So that's how I like to look at self-care rituals, things that bring joy, things that soothe, things that calm, things that put a smile on your face, things that get you moving, things that increase your spirituality, that increases your mental wellness. Those are the rituals that I like to follow. This way, I'm really intentionally making time for myself to heal all parts of me. That truly makes me want to cry. Like that's absolutely amazing. And I love that because like, obviously I feel like inner child work has become very popular. Thank God, rightfully so. But when you think of it, you think of like, you're going to therapy and like working through the hard stuff, which is obviously very important. But I love that too, that there's an element to it where it's joyful, where you're just doing the things. Yes. Yes. That as a child you craved and you loved and you wanted. So I mean, that honestly is like so insanely beautiful, Denise, and like so powerful. Like I can't even tell you. That's some of my favorite advice we've ever had on this podcast is just go do what you did as a child and you want to do. I love that. Yeah, it's so much fun. Invite your friends, have a snow fight, have a good time, buy a Nerf gun and have a water fight. Like, <laughs> If it brings you joy, there's no excuse for you not to be doing it because you've aged out or because you're an adult. If your inner child needs help, then help. If they need to experience joy, allow them to experience joy. Have fun. Healing doesn't have to be so gruesome. It could also be blissful. So also use that to your advantage. You're making me want to go out and buy some Barbies, honestly. I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's what I want. That's right? it's not a bad idea. Look, not a bad idea. A- okay, we are going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. First one being, what is your go-to self-love affirmation? Mm. Ooh, this one must be cheese fries. I was going to say, I'm sure this is a hard one. Okay, can I share more than one? Please, (laughs) yes, yes. I say rapid fire, but go on and on and on. All right, of course, one of my favorites is you are loved. Just know that you are loved. There's actually a song. um, I also, that was also something I should have mentioned too. There's like music that I, particularly listen to that feels like one big self-love hug. Um, and I can share some of my favorite artists that do that type of music, but she, yes. she has a song where she says repeatedly, know that you are loved even when you don't love yourself. And that's something that I constantly tell myself, know that you are loved even if you don't love yourself. 
Wow. Absolutely love that. Another one is, is if anyone got you, I got you. I tell that to myself all the time. If nobody got you, and I say my name, I say it to myself, Denise, if there's anyone that got you, I always got you. I will never let you fall. I will never let you break. I will always be there for you. That's something that I tell myself very often, especially when I'm faced with really hard times or hard decisions, or I feel like I'm alone, or I feel like I'm like just really struggling. I always tell myself, I got you. Like it's going to be okay because I'm here. And that kind of just reinforces that idea that there's strength in self-love. That because I have that core sense of myself and because I've healed multiple parts of myself, I know that I got, like I got me. Something else is calling myself a pet name that I would have been called as a kid. And then using that within my affirmation. So like baby girl, the saying baby girl, it's okay. Baby girl, you got this. Baby girl, you're going to do great. These are things that I tell myself right before my TED talk, right before really big events. I'm like, baby girl, you got this. Almost as if a parent was looking down at me and saying, you got this. That level of confidence that you feel, like when a parent's like, you got this baby, you're doing a great job. I try to incorporate that into the way that I speak to myself. And that helps to cancel out things like negative self. Oh my God. Um, there's so much <laughs> I'm sure you could keep going. Those gave me chills though. Seriously, those are so... Like, wow. Like, really, I have chills. Like, that was amazing. It feels so good to, like, say those things to yourself. Like, if anyone has you, I got you. Like, saying that to yourself to just reaffirm your self-efficacy, to reaffirm your self-trust, to reaffirm your self-confidence, and to be able to understand that you might be experiencing anxiety right now, but that doesn't make you any less that you got this, I got you. And saying saying your name and adding it, so saying, Denise, I will never let you fall. Mm. I will never hurt you. You got this. I will never put you in a situation that you couldn't get yourself out of. You got you, Denise, I got you. And then incorporating pet names and words that bring joy like baby girl. Baby girl, you are beautiful. Baby girl, you are loved. Know that you are loved, even if you don't know, even if you don't love yourself. Oh my God. Then Megan said to cry. I just want to repeat you saying that over and over. Thank God I have this recorded so that I can listen back to just that part of you saying that. It's so, so powerful. Wow. Okay. Anyway, I forgot we okay. rapid fire. On to the next. Yes, okay. <laughs> not rapid. Okay. <laughs> it's never rapid. It never turns out that way. Okay. The um the go-to song that makes you tap into your self-love. I know you already mentioned that amazing yeah. playlist, which I want the name of. I want to know all the details, but like if there's any other songs that you're like, that's my song, turn it on. It makes me want to dance. Okay. I'm gonna have to pick. <laughs> but Jill Scott has an amazing voice. And her music will make you fall in love with yourself. I love the way that she speaks and I love the things that she says. Cleo Soul, again, another just work of art with just, I, I can't even like explain it. It just feels like one big warm hug. I can't even pick a song. It's just, just look at those two artists and just go throughout it you will begin to just absolutely love yourself, grieve. It kind of feels like one big self-love love letter. But when I'm but if I'm looking for a song that makes me feel 
good and alive and just, you know, joyful as I'm like going through my self-care journey and my self-love journey would be golden by Jill Scott because she just keeps saying that I'm living my life like it's golden and I'm so proud of me and I'm doing a great job and it's a great song. Wow. Okay. Those are going to be on a repeat for me for like the rest of the day slash forever. Can't wait to all listen. Of Cleo Soul, all of Joe Scott, but definitely Cleo Soul. It would just feel so good. It would just feel so good. Oh my God. I love it. I can't wait. Okay. God, I, this last question, like you've already given so much, but last question was going to be leave our audience with any kind of tool, book, TV show, resource, podcast, anything that has changed your life and resonated with you, which you've literally already given us so many, but any more you wanted to leave us with? Let's see. My book, definitely a helpful healing tool. Music, we just shared. Podcast. I don't have a favorite podcast per se, but I really do love... I I did have a podcast before a couple of years ago. I love the Lavender podcast. There's a podcast called... um, Black Girls Go to Therapy. That one's really good too. Let's see. Any other tools? No, because my tools are are very specific to me and my needs, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So my tools are a collective of the things that I found brings me joy, soothes my anxiety, boosts my spirit. So they're really just dedicated to me. So may that be things from childhood or may that thing be things that I found joy in currently. So for me, it's movement, spirituality, and overall dedication and being intentional with spending time with myself and the work that I do during that time. So that would be my answer for that. So good. Which again, everybody go make your own, make your own toolbox, your own joy toolbox. Yes. Yes. Make your own joy toolbox and fill it with the things that bring you an abundance of joy. I'm not talking about a little bit of joy. I'm talking about an immediate smile. I'm talking about butterflies in your stomach. I'm talking about your cheeks are hurting from laughing. That will bring you joy and guide you and get you through all the rough patches, get you through the grief, get you through you falling apart. It will help you pick yourself up and it will help you just be in that moment where you love life and you love being here and you understand that this was this was a bad patch, but it's just a chapter and the next chapter is going to be full of joy because you have the tools to make that happen. Oh my God, Denise, can you stay with me forever? Just come over to my house and like wake me up in the morning with that. My God, Denise, you are seriously such a light. You have the absolute best energy and the best advice. I know what you're doing is changing lives. Truly, truly, truly. Where can people find you? Because I know people are going to want more, Denise. So tell us your social handles, where they can find you, website, where they can find your book, your journal, all that good stuff. Great. So you can find my TED Talk on... TED.com. You can also find it on YouTube. You can find me on all social platforms. May that be YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, which is one of my new favorites. My at is live naturally love. So please do find me there. I'm always ready to connect with absolutely everyone. My organization is the self-love organization and you can find us at the self-love organization.com. And my journal, my therapist approved healing tool to help guide you on your self-love and healing journey. The Soul Study Self-Love Journal could be found at thesoulstudyselflovejournal.com. Thank you so much, Denise. You're amazing. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This was amazing. This was so much fun. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 